Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, your host here on Felony Friday, and I want to try something new. Um, don't have an ad for you here or anything like that, but I have a request. So I want to try something with Apple Podcast reviews. Um, they're very important in podcasts, and they help you get more attention and eyeballs on your podcast. You get in the, uh, you know, you rank up in the categories, all that stuff. So I would like people to give five-star reviews. So I'm going to reward people who give us five-star reviews, review the podcast, say something nice, and then if after you do that, if you drop either a topic you'd like me to talk about, a question, and ask me anything, you know, you can ask me a random question, and I will address it on the show if it's if it's appropriate. But you can drop that after your five-star rating and your review, put what you want to talk about there on the show I will talk about it, and um, and it helps the show. It helps you influence the show. It's a uh, it's a win win. So please consider doing that. Make sure even if you listen on you know Spotify or Overcast or whatever, do it on Apple Podcast. They have the most control right now, so do it there, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you very much. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. What is Felony Friday? Felony Friday is a show where every single week we're going to do a deep dive and we're going to examine and expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, if this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, your first time listening to any of the shows we have here on Lions of Liberty, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, put your feet up. If you're driving, please don't put your feet up. But if you've been back several times, if this is a regular habit of listening, why haven't you subscribed? Or maybe you have subscribed. Thank you if you subscribed. But if you haven't, please do so. Whatever podcasting app you're listening on, please just scroll up to the top there, punch that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get every single episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast and of Felony Friday delivered to your little listening device. And also, if you really enjoy what you're hearing here, please think about uh, giving us a, a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, especially if you listen there, because it helps with the algorithms and all that crazy stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Retta Sunbad. Retta was sentenced in 2017 to 51 months in prison and ordered to pay 280000 in restitution uh, for a mail fraud case. Uh, she served 26 months at FPC Bryan and six months at FMC Carswell Camp. Uh, she was actually the first woman released from there due to the CARES Act. Retta, welcome to Felony Friday. Thank you. It's good to be here. It's a lot better than where I was. <laughs> I, I, I believe that for sure. And uh, we'll, we'll get into uh, all of that. Actually, a uh, former guest of the show was on a couple weeks ago, Uh Lynn uh, Espeo, who right. I think you uh, served with, correct? Yes, absolutely. We worked together in the reentry office at Bryan. Yeah, yeah. She uh, she connected us and, and said you'd be a great guest. So I'm looking forward to to hearing your story and, and hearing you you talk about your experience at prison because it's so important for 
I think for people out there to be able to attach a, a name and a face and a story to uh, the people who are in prison, because right. um, that's how we're going to affect change and really uh, change the system is personalize uh, what's actually going on in there because it's it's really not good stuff, not, not good at all. Before we get to that, I want my audience to get to know you a little better, know about your your background and, and uh, who you are. So if you could kind of start out by just sharing about your life, what your what your life was like before you ended up getting charged and uh, and sentenced to prison. Absolutely. Uh, I was 61 years old when, when I was indicted. Um, I was a purchasing director for a manufacturing company. Prior to that, I'd spent uh, 30 years uh, in the corporate world doing everything from being an administrative assistant to being a regional sales manager. Um, you know, my background was in the corporate world. Um, I am married. Uh, my husband and I will celebrate our 40th anniversary on December 22nd of this year. Uh, Congratulations. Thank God we won't be doing it in prison. So uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. I have two children. I have six grandchildren and two great-grandchildren. Um, my husband and I were very involved in uh, church ministry. Um, we worked with the youth. Uh, we were state youth directors for the Christian Motorcyclists Association. Um, we also were very involved in the community. We were uh, Mr. and Mrs. Claus from uh, Thanksgiving until New Year's. Uh, we had um, the outfits and we showed up everywhere. We really didn't go out of uh, costume uh, between that time. We uh, would go to the boys and girls clubs. We went to the children's hospitals. We went into the nursing homes. Uh, we, we just loved it. We loved Christmas and we loved being able to give back to people. So um, that, that was our experience. Um, Did you sometimes forget and stay in character even when it was just the two of you? And you wait a minute. Oh, bro. oh, oh yeah. And, and my grandchildren loved it because we got them elf costumes. And uh, mm -hmm. one of our favorite things was to go Black Friday shopping. And so we would all dress up in costume and, and we have, have a big uh, motor coach and we would take the motor coach to the, the malls and we'd all come out of there, Mr. and Mrs. Claus and all the little elves going out shopping. Mm -hmm. it, it was a great time. From there, you're working as a, a purchasing agent, correct? And right. uh, what, what ends up happening? How do you end up getting entangled in a, uh, in a case? Okay. Well, um, my daughter had been involved in a horrific motorcycle accident. She suffered traumatic brain injury, and um, I, I was looking for a way to, to increase our income to where I could help support her family, too. And so I opened a, uh, a small company, and I was doing what I knew. I was purchasing, so I thought, if I can go out and uh, obtain vendors and um, sell to uh, other companies and, and make a little profit. And so that is what I started doing. Well, not really, um, quite, quite frankly, unethically, I began to sell to the company I was working for rather than giving them the benefit of my knowledge and letting them purchase at the price I did. I steered them toward buying from a company that I owned. Mm. And so um, that that was deemed mail fraud. I, I knew it was unethical. I didn't realize that it was illegal. And so 
I got, um, I was indicted for that uh, when the company found out that they were making purchases from a company that, that I owned and that I was uh, keeping the profits. And there were a lot of things going on with that company, and I'm, I'm not here to really point fingers at them. It is what it is. Um, I think the worst part for me was that my husband was caught up in it. They came after me, and when I wouldn't plead right away, uh, they threatened my husband and my children. My husband kind of, um, you know, stuck his chest out and said, what are you talking about? We haven't done anything. Uh, you can't get me. Well, he was indicted also because his name was on our, our bank accounts and his name mm -hmm. was also on the post office box that we had. Uh, it ended up being uh, mail fraud. My husband did not plead. He went to trial, which in the federal system, um, you know, and if you don't know anything about this, you think, you know, I'm innocent. Uh, I'm going to go to trial and everything's going to be okay. But mm -hmm. I think most people don't realize that in the federal system that 95% uh, of the cases are, are pled out for a reason. And um, so my husband did go to trial. He was acquitted of the original mail fraud charge, but they did find him guilty of aiding and abetting, uh, as the prosecutor put, put it, he should have known uh, that I was doing something illegal. And so then he, he received a, a felony conviction. Uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for a strong marriage and a wonderful husband because a lot of them would not have survived this. I, I have met countless women and mm -hmm. got to prison and they were served with divorce papers. Uh, my husband was sentenced to 40 months. He actually went in before I did. When he went to trial, the day he showed up for trial, they took him into custody right away. We had been out. Why did they, why'd they do that? Um, quite frankly, to be mean. Uh, they, yeah. they said that um, if he saw that the trial wasn't going his way, that they were worried that he would be a flight risk. Like, you know, government speakies. Uh, so they, they took him in custody, and then he was, like I said, convicted of the one charge, and then um, he was um, acquitted of the other, and so he, he remained in custody. They allowed him to come out for 10 days to help us empty our house out uh, with both of us in prison. We couldn't continue to make the mortgage payments on our house, and so we lost our house. The government did not take it, but we lost our house because of our inability to um, to pay and we asked uh, we tried to file for um, uh, to restructure our mortgage and mm -hmm. they wouldn't do it since both of us were going to prison so um, and you weren't able to sell it quickly in that time frame I guess yeah no no yeah. we weren't and and so we yeah. we just ended up we emptied it out and uh, we're are currently staying um, my mom has a large house and has a basement apartment so we're staying with her right now uh, while we try and, and figure everything out it um, my husband uh, is 69 and I am about to be 64 it's kind of hard to start over at that age but yeah you know it is what it is and uh, I will we'll be fine eventually so you were w one of the first women um, released under the the cares act from uh what, Carswell. From, uh, Brian, right? Oh, from Carswell. Right. So were you released before your husband then or, or after? Uh, my husband was actually released first because he went in a year before I did and he had a shorter sentence. 
And so he was out and I was very fortunate because he was advocating for me while he was on the outside. He uh, contacted uh, Senator uh, Lindsey Graham and Senator Tim Scott. We're from South Carolina and those Mm -hmm. are senators. And uh, Senator Tim Scott's office was, they were the bomb. They were rock stars. Really? Yes. I haven't heard much about him for criminal justice reform related stuff. That's, yeah, that's, that's I, good it, to hear, though. Surprising to me, too. I, I really expected more from Lindsey Graham scenes as he heads the Judiciary Committee. No, I wouldn't expect anything from Lindsey Graham. But, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Tim Scott's office was, was wonderful. Um, in fact, the uh, camp administrator came to me uh, right before they put me in quarantine to leave, and she said, uh, you need to tell your husband to quit calling. You need to tell Senator Scott's office to quit calling. You're on the list and you're going to be going home. And I told her, I says, they will quit calling the day that I walk out the gate. I says, until then, I says, keep expecting phone calls. Mm-hmm. And uh, they they were wonderful. They stayed in contact. They contacted regional medical. They contacted Washington, D.C. medical. Uh, they called my husband every couple of days to see if he had found out anything. So uh, they definitely were on it and, and were a wonderful resource for us. I I believe that had it not been for his office that I would probably still be sitting at Carswell with uh, over 500 women who are now infected with COVID. Let's take a real quick break here. I want to tell you guys about an awesome libertarian podcast. I know you guys think that Lines of Liberty is the only libertarian podcast out there, and we are great. I mean, it's awesome, but we do hear Lines of Liberty. But there's other good ones, too. In fact, there's a great one called Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our friends, Nate and Charlie. They've taken on the onus of trying to change people's minds of how people view libertarians, and they're doing this by leading with a message of compassion First, they're looking at the way in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. I know it's amazing, right? So much more effective than just typing loudly and screaming to yourself and commenting on Facebook statuses. But they're actually giving you tangible ways to talk to other human beings about how liberty is compassion. Amazing, right? So Nate and Charlie are... Two great guys, like I said. I think I said that at the beginning. They have a, uh, a background in healthcare. They actually own a healthcare IT company. So at times like this and times of crisis uh, that we have in this country right now, a great podcast to tap into to get their perspective. You can check it out five days per week. So if you need that uh, daily hit of liberty, please check out Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. Of course, you can find it on all the regular podcatching apps. Or you can just go to lol.gmlpodcast.com. Good morning, Liberty. Check it out. Unbelievable. Um, well, it's it's great that you got out. It's terrible what's happening now in uh, in these prisons with COVID. It's just out of control. Um, I wanted to talk through a little bit your your experience at, at Bryan and uh, and Carswell. So when when you ended up when you started serving that sentence, right. what what was your mindset like at the at the start? of that sentence. It it was incredulous. It was like, I I can't believe at 61 years old that I'm, I'm sitting in prison. And uh, I had been uh, classified as, as physically disabled prior to going to prison by the federal government. 
And when I got there, it was, they made no, um, uh, exceptions based on age or, or disability there. When I got there, um, they stopped all my medications and I, I came in with a list of, of all my medications and my medical records and I handed them to them and they proceeded to throw them in the garbage. They said, we don't believe any of this because you could have done this all yourself. Yes. Yeah. It, it was crazy. And so, um, my first week I was so sick and I kept passing out. I, I have uncontrolled hypertension, high blood pressure. Mm -hmm. And, um, I, I would just, um, I, I had fallen several times. I broke um, the crowns in my teeth from the falls. And uh, finally, uh, they started treating me when they saw, when they would come and, and see that my blood pressure was 220 over 130, I mean, stroke level. And they began to treat me. Uh, the counselor I had um, at Brian, Brian is what they call a working camp. Everybody must have a job there. And I told her, I said, listen, I says, I'm, I've been on Social Security disability. I says, the federal government has deemed that I'm unable to work any job, not even a sedentary job, unable to work any job. I don't care. I don't care. You're going to work in the kitchen. That's where everybody goes. And so um, they sent me over uh, to the kitchen and had me wiping tables for seven hours a day. I have herniated discs in my back, and so it's hard for me to to bend or move or stand. And, and like I said, all of this was documented by the federal government. You know, they knew this. I was on Social Security, and mm -hmm. I had seen their doctors and was deemed that way. But miraculously, when you go to prison, apparently you get healed, and you're able to do any of those things. Um, I filed grievances, and uh, the only way I got out of the kitchen was that they had put me on a walker because I kept falling. So I was using a walker at the time. And I told them, I said, um, the restroom in the kitchen is not handicapped accessible. And this is, well, what do you mean? I says, well, my walker won't fit in there. And so um, they said, okay, well, well, we'll pull you out of the kitchen and we're, we're going to change that. And so about four weeks later, my counselor came up to me and said, uh, oh, uh, you're going back to the kitchen. We fixed it. They put a pull bar in the bathroom. And I said, that is not handicapped accessible. I says, they have to be a certain width. I said, and the toilet has to be a certain height. I says, this is not code. Mm -hmm. So she said, fine. And so they took me out of the kitchen and finally got me a job over in education. So I began to work uh, as a clerk for the supervisor of education. And that's where I, I spent the rest of my time uh, at Brian working for the supervisor of education. Your time, your time in prison, um, when you compare it to your husband's experience, what, what differences do you guys have in, in your time served? What uh, experience wise? Yeah, what? his was awful. His was awful. He um, was targeted by the Muslim community. Uh, he would he was at he started out at Edgefield in South Carolina, 
and he would come back to his room and they you know urinated or defecated all over his bed uh, they would grab his Bibles and tear them up and finally um, I think the last six months of his sentence they transferred him to Montgomery uh, where that was a lot better for him but Edgefield was awful for him and um, he felt like the case managers uh, really were prejudiced against him and uh, just all the way around they uh, wrote him a incident report for complaining to our daughter on the telephone about what they were doing there and they said that uh, he was being insolent and he wasn't allowed to say that on the phone to my daughter and so he, he received an insolent report he wow. um, wrote a grievance about it and, and they dropped it but this was after he spent 60 days in the shoe in solitary housing unit and um, it, it it was amazing. It, wow. it was amazing. And uh, his, his time was, was not as, um, I won't say mine was pleasant, but I, I had a much easier time than what he did. Uh, at first at Bryant, it was a lot harder for me just because of my medical conditions mm -hmm. and, and the fact that uh, the medical department at Bryant was abhorrent. It was terrible there. But once they started getting all my medical records in, and I thought the funny thing was, when you have medical records sent in, they have to initial every single page saying that they've read it. So when they told me they didn't believe my medical records, then I sent out and I had medical records from hospitals, doctors, end up being over a thousand pages. So they called me over after they'd received several bundles of these pages and they said, you don't have to have any more medical records sent in. I says, oh, but I think I do. I think I do because otherwise you don't believe anything that I had to tell you. Oh, no, Miss Sunblad, we, we don't have any more problems. And after that, I didn't have any more problems with medical. But, yeah, she, she did not want to have to keep going through medical record after medical record um, because then they're, they're liable. If, if they have a record of the fact that, that you have these conditions and they're not treating them, then you can hold them responsible. So during uh, this time in prison, you know, this is you to to serve a prison sentence this late in life, um, and, and it being a, you know such such a shock is a shock for anyone, no matter what what, what age uh, right. when you go in. But what what would you say was your biggest thing you learned, either about yourself or about I don't know life in general from from serving that time in prison? Uh, the biggest thing I learned is that uh, people could actually get along without me and that I didn't have to be superwoman and do everything for everybody. <laughs> that, that was the biggest thing I learned. I also learned that people that I thought were friends were merely acquaintances because mm. I, I didn't hear anything from them. I, I was very disappointed in the reaction from the church that I had been attending, um, when my indictment came across the news, um, one of the pastor's wives posted it on Facebook and said, can you believe this? And I'm thinking, what? You're not even going to call. You're not going to ask me about anything, you know. And of course, if the government says it, it's true. And mm -hmm. um, so, you know, no one uh, said anything. And so I, I kind of went into isolation. I 
I, I would drive 30 miles to go to a different grocery store because I didn't want to run into anybody. I was I was so ashamed and, and I, you know, felt, you know, guilty and I didn't know if I could ever hold my head up and, and talk to people after I got in and what would they think. But I have been pleasantly surprised by some people and, and by some, of course, you know, unpleasantly surprised. But um, I... I I found some really wonderful people that throughout my time would send books to me, cards and letters, and uh, really supported me. And, and um, then there were those that, that didn't, and that's okay, too. And perhaps I didn't know what to say. Don't, don't understand it all. And uh, mm-hmm. so. That's, I mean, that's a shame, especially coming from, you know, Christians in a church, but it's, it's not surprising. I mean, I've seen the same thing happen in my local community where I had a, uh, a, uh, a teacher growing up who, this was years later, this was actually a couple of years ago, I saw that the, a news headline came, came up that he was indicted for stealing money. And, you know, I heard other people talking, friends and acquaintances, saying, I can't believe he did this. I can't believe this happened. I'm like, you're hearing one side of a story. We got right. to see, see how this plays out. Yet No one knows his side. Turns out the charges ended up getting dropped. So I, I, I don't know what happened, but you can't, yeah, you can't judge just based on uh, the prosecution's side of the story. Their, their intent with that side of the story is to lock you in prison. So that's, oh, oh, yeah. At, at my husband's trial, I, I just laughed because I had been in two car accidents, neither one of them my fault. And, and after uh, one of the car accidents settled, we replaced the vehicle and we bought a, a Nissan Pathfinder. Well, the uh, prosecutor got up and said, well, they bought this Nissan Pathfinder. You know, they could have just bought a little Kia, but no, they were living this exorbitant lifestyle and bought this Nissan Pathfinder, and I just laughed, and I thought, you know, well, you know, uh, we, we financed it, by the way, you know, so uh, I, I don't <laughs> Did, know what didn't that Didn't pay for it with cash. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's, cra- it's crazy how they can turn things like that, just simple uh, simple life purchases, or all of a sudden you're living the high life. Yeah, well, and I, I had never thought about it, you know, because I, I have heard of all these um, people with these exorbitant amounts that the, the government says that they took, and and almost everyone says it absolutely was not that much, but they have these huge restitution amounts, and um, I, I hadn't really been thinking about it accounting-wise, but, you know, in accounting, if, if you owe money, you are a receivable. And so for them to have these huge amounts, then the BOP has this big set of assets because there are, you know, people that owe lots of money, that owe millions and millions of dollars. Now, they're never Mm going to collect it. And they know that. So why they think they have to do that is beyond reason. I mean, mine originally started a lot higher and I kept fighting it and kept fighting it and finally got mine brought down. But, um, you know, they, they bring it up high so that they can enhance the sentence because on any type of fraud crime, uh, it's the amount taken, you know, enhances the years that, uh, that you have. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just a matter of, of accounting for them to have these huge restitution amounts. And the restitution is paid to the BOP? Correct. Or- that doesn't make any sense. The BOP no. isn't isn't the didn't have money taken from them. No, it was, no. So if anything, the money should be paid back to to the victim, whatever your employer, the, the victim. Um, right. That's that's insane. 
I guess I never well, really thought and, that through. And then when you get in the BOP, now my judgment from the judge read that I would start paying $100 a month, 60 days after I left incarceration. Well, I got to the BOP and, and my counselor says, oh, no, no, they don't mean that. I said, what do you mean they don't mean that? That's that's what it says. Nope, you have to pay. And so, you know, she started taking, um, she started out at $50 a month she was going to take from me because I came in with some money because anyone who's been in the prison system knows you have to have some money when you come in just to get set up. Uh, uh, and it's it's kind of funny. I, I said something to my mom. I said, well, I says, mom, I says, you know, Rick and I, my husband and I are both going to be in prison. I says, do you suppose that you could help me out and my son will help my husband out so that, you know, we have some money while we're in prison. And my mom looked at me and she said, honey, you won't need anything. They give you everything there. <laughs> You know, and people don't realize that, that for people in prison, even to mail a letter, to make a phone call, mm -hmm. to get on email, all of that costs money. And, it, you know, you have to pay for that. It's not just given to you. To read a book. Uh, prisons now are charging for, for people to read books. Oh, man. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it's insane. So now that you're out, um, you know, I, I know you said you're – you obviously lost your house. Um, what are your plans going forward? Where do you see yourself five five years from now? Sure, sure. Um, my husband and I are currently staying with, with my mother. My mom is 86 years old, and quite frankly, it is not all a bad thing us being here just to kind of help look after her now. She's a firecracker. My, my mom can work circles around anyone. But um, I, I think it is a comfort for her to have us here and to help keep up things around the house. But uh, my husband and I uh, want to go into prison ministry. Uh, while I was um, in prison, I uh, received my Bachelor's of Divinity degree. Uh, my husband and I are both ordained ministers. And we would like to... Uh, go back into the prisons, what we would really like to do is to do marriage seminars in the prison. Uh, when I was at Bryan, they had all sorts of parenting classes. They had classes to teach women how to be a single parent, but they didn't have classes to teach how to keep a family together. And that is really on our hearts. And we, we developed a, a marriage seminar, and I taught marriage seminar classes when I was in prison, and my husband did the same thing while he was in prison. We are hoping that we can set up um, maybe a system where we could go in and have marriage retreats at the prison where the um, incarcerated and, and the non-incarcerated come together for a day and take some classes and, and just learn how to, to keep their relationships together. And so that is, is our hope and our goal. And I would like to be able to speak to uh schools to community groups to churches and and to tell them about our experience and mm -hmm. uh, uh, just share you know what it's like and to let them know that anybody could be in the same position we were and right. uh, I, I thought uh, I read a book by uh, a US attorney I, I believe he was from Utah I can't remember his name but he got up in front of a group of 5,000 people and he said I could indict every single one of you for something 
every single one of mm-hmm. you for something. Anybody could be, you know, and, and you think back, you know, uh, did you ever uh, take a CD back when they did CDs and make a copy of it? Guess what? That's pirating. That's a, yeah. that's a federal crime. You know, there are lots of things that people could be. How many people, you know, maybe embellish on their taxes? Um, you know, anybody could find themselves in this situation. And so um, I would just like to humanize the inmates that are behind bars and especially to community groups. And, and uh, I would like to talk to criminal justice classes. I, I think there may be many men who, who go out and, and talk about their experiences in prison. I think women may not do it as frequently. I think uh, the, the first thing when you get out, it's like, I just want to kind of leave this all behind. I, I don't want to um, talk about it. I want to forget about it and just get on with my life. But I, at my age, I, I don't believe that's what God wants for me to do. I, I think he wants me to share my experiences and to try and, and, get some criminal justice reform and uh, to work within, um, you know, perhaps lobbying groups or um, I was real happy uh, when they had the, um, the Senate Judiciary Committee, when they uh, were meeting about the COVID-19, Senator Graham's uh, aides called me and I spoke with him for about three hours about my experiences behind uh, bars with the COVID-19. Hmm. So, you know, I felt like I was doing my part to, to help bring about some change. Just, just, just real quick. Well, not real quickly, as long as you need to take, but last, last question, I guess, I guess I'll say, um, what was your experience? What, what did you see with the COVID-19 when you were in there? Uh, it was awful. It was awful. Um, I was at, at Carswell and Carswell is in like an old motel six. It's on a, a military base, and the Carswell Camp, which is where I was at, even though it's designated a medical facility, uh, the camp is not part of that huge complex of, of the medical facility. And so I'm in like an old Motel 6. Um, because I was on a walker at the time, I was always in a room that had tile. Uh, but when I went into quarantine, they put me in to a room that had old carpet, old asbestos carpet. Hmm. And I was quarantined in there for 23 and a half hours a day. We got out for 30 minutes a day. And um, the carpet had not been removed at Carswell because there was asbestos underneath it. So you're in this room with this old carpet. There are no vacuum cleaners. You have to sweep the carpet out. And I got to where I, I couldn't breathe. I, I had some uh, respiratory issues anyway. And I'm thinking, I've got to make it through this two-week time. And, you know, I, I, I know I don't have COVID. I just know that I'm having, you know, environmental reactions mm-hmm. to where I'm at. And so the guards would come by to do the count. And the minute they would go by and go around the corner, I'd stick my head out. And I'm trying to gulp in fresh air to get fresh air into my lungs, you know, so that I, I'm going to be allowed to go home. Um, mm-hmm. it, it was, it was horrendous. And I, I'm in there with five women. How is that being quarantined? Yeah, that's really not a quarantine. No, yeah. no, no, it was not. And, uh, then I'd watch them, uh, they'd come through and they send a sanitary, uh, department through to, to clean like the doorknobs and stuff like that. They use the same rag, 
on every single doorknob. You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. No, no sense at all. Uh, no common sense. There was a huge... The room I was in had a huge gaping hole in the bathroom. It was probably three foot by three foot. And then there was no bathroom sink in there. So we had to go out. There was a little kitchenette sink out there. So we'd use the restroom. Then we'd have to go out to the kitchenette and wash mm -hmm. our hands. I mean, I, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> it, it's, it's just crazy. So was it an actual old Motel 6 or just felt like one? Like uh, I, I don't know if it was a Motel 6, but it, it, it probably could could have been along the yeah. same lines. Yeah. It, uh, you know, had the two uh, levels and then mm. the rooms. Uh, they had uh, five to six women in each of the rooms. They had uh, three sets of bunk beds, and some of them had an extra twin bed that were in there. And that's, wow. that was where we were housed. Well, um, you know, it's it stinks that you spent that time in there, but uh, at least you're out now. And uh, I, I think it's awesome that you and your husband – want to do a ministry in prisons focused on marriage and keeping uh, keeping husbands and wives together. Um, I haven't heard of anyone else doing something like that. So I think that's really, really unique and uh, and exciting. And I wish you luck with that. Just want to give you a minute if there's anything you wanted to plug or any any party words that you have before I let you go. Um, I, I am just getting started with, uh, we, we're calling it Still Standing Ministry. Um, because uh, despite everything that uh, the government threw at us, guess what? We're still standing. And uh, so uh, we're, we're real happy uh, to be working on that. Uh, I've, I've spoken on a couple other podcasts. I uh, received a scholarship from a group of Christian women that had a, a speakers and writers conference. And I just came out from that. And um, one of the... Um, women there. She has been a Christian speaker for many, many years, probably 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. Her son, who was a, a Naval Academy graduate, uh, snapped and killed a man, and he is mm -hmm. in prison for life. And I had read her account. Her name is Carol Kent, and she has a book called When I Lay My Isaac Down, and uh, you know how they're whole life changed. I mean, you know, they ended up moving from Michigan to Florida because their son was convicted in Florida. He's now doing life without parole in uh, Florida. They, um, I think they've lost all the appeals he's been in for quite a while, but uh, uh, they're just, just a wonderful Christian community. And they sponsored this uh, conference and they gave me a, a scholarship to it. So I was able to go there and, and to share my story and to share with her and her husband. And, you know, we had so much in common. So, um, uh, yeah, they, they are great. It's called speak up and okay. uh, it's a ministry for hope. So that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. And I see now over your shoulder there, the, uh, the still, still standing ministry on right. the, uh, the background. So that's cool. Well, th thanks for coming on the show, and uh, thank you for sharing your story, and I look forward to hearing about everything you're working on, the ministry and, and everything else later on. All right. Thank you so much, John. I appreciate you asking me to come. All right. Thank you for listening to today's show, another great episode of Felony Friday. 
As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lions of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.